stand and sing with us today? Thank you. 
church, he is the reason that we are here celebrating this morning. He came to be the Prince of Peace on earth. So as we keep singing this morning, let's remember why we're here this Sunday. thankful today that Jesus came. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? You know, in this season, we sing about joy to the world, and he came to bring us joy. We sing about peace. He came to establish his peace in our lives. But I think 
The words of this song sum it up so well. Jesus came to bring heaven to us. He even said when you pray, say, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Father, send heaven to earth. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I'm going to tell you something. God has a solution for your situation. God's presence is the answer to your problems. We just need to recognize that Jesus came to bring heaven into our lives. Not just to set us up for eternity in heaven, but to bring heaven into our lives. Let's take a moment this morning and let's just lift our hearts to God and let's just thank Him. And maybe you've got a need in your life today. Just open your heart to God and let Him bring heaven into your life today. Father, we honor You today. We glorify You. We thank You for Your presence in our lives we thank you that Jesus came to bring heaven to us, to bring your presence, to bring your power, your blessing into every one of our lives. We look to you today and we open our hearts and we make room for Jesus. We ask you to come in and fill our lives with your joy, with your peace, with your wisdom, with your direction, with your protection, with your health, your healing, your provision. Father, we open our hearts for heaven today and we receive it in Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise one more time in the house this morning? Amen. Oh, it is so good to be in church with you on this Christmas Sunday. We're so glad all of you are here. And you know, we just want to take a moment this morning and just personally wish you a very Merry Christmas. You know, no matter what your year has looked like, no matter what your week has looked like, no matter what your morning has looked like, we all have so much to be thankful for because Jesus has come for each and every one of us personally. I am so thankful for that, aren't you? Oh, so thankful. Well, it is wonderful celebrating Christmas and all that Christmas means with you, our church family, this morning. We're so glad all of you are here, those of you in the building, those of you watching online. It is just great to be celebrating this season with you all. And we just want to take a moment and especially welcome anyone who might be with us for the very first time. If that's you here in the building or joining us online, for the first time, we just want to say welcome. It is great to have you joining us as well. And you know what? We would just love to have the opportunity to meet you, get to know you. So linger, hang out a bit after service if you're here today in the building. And then also if you want more information about the church, you can always stop by the information center in the lobby. Or of course, you can check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. All right, for those of us who call the bridge home, can we just give our guests a great warm welcome this morning? Awesome. Well, before you're seated, why don't you take a moment and just wish Merry Christmas to those around you this morning.
and welcome to church. We're so glad you're joining us today. December is in full swing and this is an exciting season in the life of our church. We have a lot planned for you with plenty of opportunities for you to invite your friends and family to be in church with you this Christmas. Let's take a look at church news together and see what's happening this month at The Bridge. This Friday, December 24th, is our Christmas Eve candlelight services happening at 4 and 5.30 p.m. This is one of the most special and significant nights of the year, and we would love for you and your family to join us. So many families here at the bridge have made this a part of their Christmas tradition, and we hope that you will make it a part of yours. So join us again at 4 and 5.30 p.m. And if you have kids, we will have childcare for infant through kindergarten age kids. We want to spend Christmas Eve with you, so make your plans to join us this Friday for our candlelight services. Next Sunday is the day after Christmas, and we know that many people will still be celebrating the holiday. So we are doing something totally different, and we are bringing church to you. That's right next Sunday for one week only church will be happening online at our usual service times of 9 30 and 11 30 a.m. it's going to be an extra special and very unique service that I know is going to breathe fresh hope into your hearts in this season you don't want to miss it so gather your families we can't wait to be with you online only next Sunday morning If you are new to The Bridge, we would love to meet you. We want to do our best to help you find home here in this church family. That's why we created something called Connecting Point. The next Connecting Point is coming up on January 9th during our 1130 service. Come and learn more about the history, heartbeat, and vision of The Bridge Church, but more importantly, where you fit in. And if you have kids, Bridge Kids will be happening during that service to serve them. All you need to do is go to our website or the Bridge app and click on the Connect tab. There you can register to join us so that we can plan for you. We want to help you get plugged in, so come to Connecting Point on Sunday, January 9th at 11.30. We will see you there. If this is your first time visiting the Bridge, welcome. We hope that you feel right at home. We'd also love to meet you, so stop by the Info Center after service and say hi to our team. They're here to help you and answer any questions that you might have about the church. You can also stay up to date with church life by visiting our website, thebridgechurch.tv, or you can check out the Bridge app. If you don't have our church app, just go to the App Store and search The Bridge Church Marietta to download. Thanks for being with us today. We hope to see you Friday night for our Christmas Eve candlelight services. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Man, does this feel like a special day or what? So good to be in church together with everybody today. So again, welcome. Let me add my welcome to Christmas Sunday at the bridge. My name is Zach, and I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge. And I'll just add and say how thankful we are that you are here today. Thanks again for joining us in church. I have the great privilege of getting to share with you on Christmas Sunday, and I'm excited to do so. So if you have your Bibles, you have a device of some sort, why don't you meet me this morning in the book of Luke Chapter 2, Luke 
chapter 2. And we know that if you know your Bible very well, you know that this passage of Scripture gives us a large portion of the Christmas story. Today, I just want to look at a few of the first first few verses from Luke chapter 2 and look at something I feel like God has put in my heart over the last few days. Today, I want to bring you a message called An Inconvenient Christmas. An Inconvenient Christmas. I know that that's a title that's a little bit different. I know that if you are a committed Christian, you've been walking with God for a while, you say, Zach, there's nothing inconvenient about Christmas. I put Jesus at the center of my Christmas. I know what the true reason for the season is. Christmas isn't inconvenient, but you know what? I think that if we are all honest with ourselves, we build so much of our lives around convenience. And today, if you're here, I really believe that whether you've been in church for a long time, maybe you've been here at the bridge for a long time, or maybe this is your first Sunday here, maybe church isn't something that you go to, it's not a place that you go to very regularly, but you've made it here today on Christmas Sunday. Again, we're glad that you're here, but I'm really hoping, I'm believing that this message, this word today is going to meet everybody right where you're at this morning. So again, Luke chapter 2, I want to begin reading this morning. From verse 1. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. We know these verses very well. When we come to Christmas time, we usually read through this passage of Scripture. And in fact, this is one of the many passages that we'll be reading through this Friday at our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And I so hope that you will plan to join us for Christmas Eve. It is one of the most special evenings of the year and maybe my favorite night of the year on our church calendar. So really looking forward to that. But as I was saying earlier, I think that if all of us were honest with ourselves, if we were to look at our lives, the way that we build our lives, the way that we plan our lives, I think if we're being honest, we would have to admit that most of us build our lives around conveniences. We tend to make decisions day in and day out, hour by hour, moment by moment, according to what is most convenient in our lives. And here's the thing, building our lives around convenience isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it can be, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but there are a lot of good reasons why we build our lives quite often around convenience, and let's just be honest and talk about convenience for just a second. Convenience keeps comfort. If I can find the most convenient way to do anything, that means that I get to stay in my most comfortable state or position. Convenience saves time. Who doesn't like saving time? Let's be honest. Convenience saves time. Convenience conserves Energy. And it seems like so often in our life, what do we do? We try to find the, the path of least resistance, the path that is going to require the least amount of output from me. So I'll choose the most convenient path. But here's the thing. Convenience, while it's not necessarily a bad thing, I have learned that nothing great has ever been built on the back of convenience. 
A lot of the greatest things that we will do in our life will be things that we did not do out of convenience, but instead were incredibly inconvenient. And I would even take it a step further and say that some of the greatest things that God wants to do in our lives and through our lives will not be things that will be convenient for us, but instead they might be incredibly inconvenient. Now in talking about that, convenience, like I said, it's not always a bad thing. And I want to give you an example of this because I got to thinking about a few different ways that convenience can be a really good thing. Let's just say that right now somebody in this room is looking for a new job. And if you're looking for a new job, you go through this difficult process of creating a resume, looking for jobs, submitting resumes. And then let's say that you went through a series of interviews and you had an idea about the kind of company you wanted to work at and work for. You had an idea about the salary or the amount of money that you need to make or would like to make. And then after submitting resumes and going through interviews, you received two phone calls. And both of those phone calls were offering you a job at two different places. And if you live here in the Temecula Valley, the first call, they said, we like you. We want to hire you. We want to pay you this much money, which sounds good to you. The only problem is you are going to have to drive to San Diego and back every single day. There are some of you like, that sounds like my life. That sounds like my existence. But then you get another phone call, and what do they say? They say, we like you, and we feel like we have a good opportunity that we would like to offer you, and this is how much money it pays, and you say, I like that. And guess what? The job is right here in the Temecula Valley. Which job are you going to take? You're going to take the one that's right here in town. Why? Because of convenience. Because of convenience, you'll get to spend more time at home. You'll get to spend more time with your family. Most likely you would choose convenience, and in that scenario, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But convenience doesn't always take us to the great things that God has for our lives. You know, Christmas shopping is one of those things that has helped me to see how much we build our lives around convenience. I remember growing up, it seems like we would spend day after day after day when Christmas shopping, going to shopping malls, going to department stores, going to sporting goods stores, and going all of these places where we had to fight traffic, and we had to fight for parking spots, and we had to fight through crowded corridors, and we had to stand in line for a super long time. And for some of us, we still do a certain amount of that. But back in the day, that was what Christmas shopping looked like from beginning to end. Now what do we do? Amazon. I'll have it here in two days. Why? Because it's convenient. And that's a good thing. But can I tell you something? The business model of Amazon, while being built on convenience for you and I, was not built in a convenient manner. It took someone to have the vision. It took people to have the know-how. And then they had to set the plan in motion of building that business to make it what it is today. Well, we get to experience that convenience. But can I tell you, for the people that built it, it was anything but convenient. It was hard work. And the greatest things, again, that God might want to do through our lives, in and through our lives, might be some of the most inconvenient things that we will ever experience. I was reading about convenience over the last few days, just seeing what people have to say about this topic or thought of convenience, and I ran across a couple of quotes that I thought were so great. These aren't Christian, you know, men and women, but just great thoughts that people shared about convenience. The first one was from a a fiction author, and her name is Bodie Taney, and she says, what is right is often forgotten by what is convenient. And I like this other one by an author and entrepreneur, his name is John Azaroff. He said, if you're interested, you'll do whatever is convenient, but if you're committed, you'll do whatever it takes. One of the things that I've 
come to realize in my life, I'm 40 years old, I'm no longer the youngest guy in the room, I'm not yet the oldest guy in the room, I'm somewhere in the middle, but at this point in my life, one of the things that I've found is that which is convenient is not always correct. And I think that if we want to be the people that God is calling us to be and do the things that God is calling us to do in our lives, oftentimes we're going to have to choose commitment even when it's inconvenient. Or let me say it this way, we will have to choose commitment over convenience. And I'm saying all this to you this morning because when I read through Luke chapter 2, I was just reading with a fresh set of eyes, or at least I tried to a few days ago, because let's just be honest, the Christmas story doesn't change from year to year. And as a pastor and as a preacher, we'd like to come and have a new angle or a fresh take on the greatest story ever told, but we can't do anything to add to it because it's the greatest story ever told. That God sent Jesus, his son, immaculately, divinely, supernaturally conceived to come into this earth, be Emmanuel, God with us. God came to us, the child who was born to live and then born to die for me and for you. But when I think about Luke chapter 2 and those first seven verses that we read this morning, for, for some reason this week and over the last few days as I was preparing, there was one word that just kept popping up. And it was the word inconvenience because this story, those seven verses that we read, are absolutely littered with inconvenience of what Mary and Joseph had to go through to bring about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus as we get further on into this story, but I want to talk about Mary and Joseph for just a little bit and the commitment that they made. Because I believe with all of my heart that Mary and Joseph chose commitment over convenience. What were some of the inconveniences that they faced? Now, I jotted down a few notes here, and I wrote this down in such a way that I want to just read them to you the way that I've written it down. So follow me for a moment because there's a lot of detail here, okay? What were the inconveniences that Mary and Joseph faced in order to bring Jesus into this world? Well, first of all, verses 1 and 2 tell us that there was to be a census. And I've got to think that Mary and Joseph, when they heard about the census that were taking was taking place, we're probably thinking, really, God, you chose the year of the census for us to have a baby? Or really, God, why didn't you have the census take place on another year? Because it's super inconvenient that we would have to leave home to go to Bethlehem to be a part of the census, which feels really like a waste of time. It's super inconvenient. You could have done this another way, God. I'm sure Mary and Joseph thought of it as a huge inconvenience. Verse 4 tells us that they had to travel from Nazareth of Judea. Now, follow me for a minute here. They had to travel from Nazareth of Judea all the way to Bethlehem. That wasn't Joseph's hometown, but because he was of the lineage of David, that's where he had to go. So they had to go to Bethlehem. And what we know today, thanks to trusty Google Maps, is that the distance from Judea, from Nazareth of Judea to Bethlehem, is 97 miles now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to us today, but Joseph and Mary couldn't just jump in the car or take a train or take a bus. They had to go either by foot or by horseback or by donkey. And Scripture only tells us that they walked. That's the only thing that we know. In other words, while Mary was pregnant, they had to take the most uncomfortable of walks or rides, 97 miles, just because this inconvenient census. And most likely, she was not just pregnant. She was third trimester pregnant. Mary probably thought, God, if we're going to have to make this journey, couldn't you at least have made it earlier on in my pregnancy when I was feeling better? Now I'm ready to pop, and I just want to have this baby and get it out of my body. But no, we have to walk to Bethlehem, and this is incredibly 
inconvenient. And that's not all. Verse 5 reminds us that there was an awkward predicament that Mary and Joseph had found themselves in at the very outset of this story. Because it says that they were betrothed to one another, yet Mary was somehow pregnant, which was totally shameful and would have been a source of enormous embarrassment. Yet here they were, traveling to Bethlehem, left to tell anyone who asked that Mary was miraculously pregnant by the Holy Spirit. They must have been saying to themselves, come on, God. It's one thing to have a baby. It's another thing to have to travel for the census. But all of this under the guise of public scrutiny, surely you could have chosen another plan that wasn't so inconvenient. They had to go through so many things just to see to it that Jesus came about. And then finally, verse 6, and this is my favorite part, and I think all the ladies will get a kick out of the way that this is written. Because if you're a mama who's given birth to children, you know that this is not a comfortable experience. Here's what's so interesting. Verse 6 says it, and this is my my favorite part, and I'm going to quote it to you. I'll read it to you directly. It says, and so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for Mary to be delivered, for her to be delivered. When I read this, again, my favorite part of this, the very words that are there in the scripture says, and so it was. It's almost as if this verse was written with sarcasm to say, and it just so happens that while they were in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor and she needed to have this baby now. And again, I'm certain that Mary was thinking, man, we could have done this whole census thing way earlier on. I mean, I got like nearly 10 months worth of pregnancy here. This whole thing should have been happening way earlier on. God, I'd feel better. I wouldn't have to give birth in some place that isn't my home. And everything about this is incredibly in." Convenient. But I think what this story reveals to us is that from the time that Joseph and Mary were given their assignment to the time that Christ was born in Bethlehem, they made a decision that they were going to choose commitment over convenience. I want to say this to you one more time this morning. Some of the greatest things that God will do in our lives will be incredibly inconvenient, and he will be asking us to choose commitment to him over convenience to ourselves. Now I know again many of you are thinking it's Christmas Sunday when we can talk about Jesus. We're going to, we're getting there. But Jesus wants to do things in our lives and through our lives. And in order for Jesus to be to come into the world, Mary and Joseph had to make some really tough decisions that they were going to go through with all the things that God was calling them to do. So let's talk a minute about commitment. What is it that's great about commitment over convenience? Or more specifically, what was it that Mary and Joseph committed to. I think there are three specific things that stand out to me in this story, three commitments that Joseph and Mary were making. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, I believe that Joseph and Mary were committed to God's will above their own will. Joseph and Mary were committed to God's will above their will. You know, when you go back and you read the various verses that pop up throughout the story, One of the things that you see is that when Mary has this visitation from the angel, the angel comes to her and says, blessed are you among women. You are highly favored of God. And then as the angel gave all the details about everything that was going to happen, I've never known a man, I'm a virgin, and you're telling me that I'm pregnant. Do you know what I'm about to go through? But yet you're standing here telling me that I am blessed among women and I'm highly favored of God. Is that your idea of blessing? That I'm going to have to go through public shame and public scrutiny? Really? Are you kidding me? But for some reason, Mary was willing to put her will aside 
and commit herself to the will of God. The way that that story ends is that Mary says, according to your word, let it be unto me. And I think one of the great lessons that we have to learn as Christians is that we have to learn how to let God's word outweigh our will. We have to learn how to let God's word outweigh our will. You know, I got to thinking about this a little bit as Christians, there are a lot of different passages of scripture, promises that we see that we like to hold on to on a very personal, uh, in a very personal way. And one of the passages of scripture, verses of scripture that we like to quote a lot as Christians is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, 11, you see Jeremiah, the prophet of God in Israel. He's gone through a very heartbreaking time where his nation is coming out of captivity or he's wanting them to come out of captivity. He sees a, a city that is in ruins and he's crying out to God and God is speaking to him to bring comfort. But then God is also speaking through him to bring instruction and correction to the people around him. At the outside of Jeremiah, or at the outside of Jeremiah 29, 11, he reveals these words from the Lord. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Or I know how the thoughts that I think toward you, declares the Lord. Depends on which translation you're reading. I know the plans or I know the thoughts that I think toward you, declares the Lord. Now if you push pause on that verse for just a moment, all of us as Christians, we probably know that verse pretty well. And we like to say, well, God's got good plans for me. And he's going to do good things. But what's interesting about it is that the way that this is spoken from Jeremiah is it's almost like God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you. But I also know that sometimes you have plans of your own and they don't exactly line up with mine. And I see this parallel with Mary and Joseph who were these incredibly young people who suddenly have this big bomb that's dropped in their lap of what it is that God's calling them to do. And I'm wondering if at some point they had to sit there and take their own will, lay it aside, and say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to play out, but you've made me a promise, so therefore I trust that you're going to bring all these things to pass, and I'm willing to walk through a short season of inconvenience. And I think that what Jeremiah was really trying to get across to the Israelites in the Old Testament was he was trying to say, God has good plans for your life. He thinks good thoughts toward you, but sometimes your thoughts, his thoughts, your will, his will, your way, his way collide because you're not thinking the same things. And we have to choose to let God's word outweigh our will if we want to see all of God's plans come to pass in our lives. You know, when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, the disciples watched Jesus on a daily basis, and they saw his prayer life. They saw the intimacy that he had with God. And they were blown away at the way that he just talked so freely and openly and communicated with God. The disciples walked up to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And one of the things that he taught them was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth the same way that it is in heaven. How many of you have a strong-willed child? Come on, it's okay to raise your hand. There's a lot of us that have them. I'm in the same boat with you. I got at least one. I'm trying to figure out how long this is going to last. Maybe I have three. I'm not sure yet. But you know how it is when you have a strong-willed child. They have a will. They have an idea. And I've heard it said that if you have a strong-willed child, you never want to break their spirit. But there's going to be times where you're going to have to go to battle with their will. Because what they want and what's best for them, according to the way you see things, might be at odds. They might be two different things. And you know how it is with strong-willed kids or even just strong-willed adults, let's be honest for a minute. With strong-willed people, they have their mind made up. They know the best way. They've got their mind made up of how they're going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. This is how it's going to go. So either get out of my way or I will run over you. 
Whether it's a strong-willed kid or a strong-willed adult, that's kind of the way that they roll. What's interesting about this is I think of all strong wills, I think the strongest of wills is God. Because when God says, I know the plans, I know the thoughts, I know the way, I have good things in mind for you, can I tell you something? There's no second guessing that because God truly does know the best. And for all of us in our life, there comes this point where we have to take our will and lay it aside and trust that God's word can outweigh our will. And even if life gets a little bit inconvenient, he's going to lead us into the great things that he has for our lives. See, I think Mary and Joseph, somewhere from the time they had the encounter with the angel till they got to Bethlehem, understood this is inconvenient, but this is worth it. This is inconvenient. This is difficult. This is uncomfortable, but this is worth it. And I want to charge you today. Maybe you came into this place today and maybe you have a will of your own. You think about where you're at in life. Maybe things are going well, but you feel like there's something missing. There's got to be more to it than this. I want to tell you something, that God has an eternal plan for your life, and it's so much bigger than the life that you're living right now. But we have to learn to trust him at his word and sometimes set aside our will to discover his purposes for our life. So I believe, first and foremost, that Mary and Joseph had committed their lives to God's will above their own will. Now, let's keep going, because there's a second commitment that I think that really stands out right here in this passage of Scripture. Number two, if you're taking notes, Mary and Joseph were committed to God's future above their present. Mary and Joseph were committed to God's future above their present. I remember before I started in full-time ministry, when my wife and I met, we were serving as volunteers in our home church in Orange County. And before I came on staff here at the bridge, God had been so good to me because he had provided me with a job that was really great in a great environment with wonderful employers. And they built a successful business over, over a few years. And I remember going to lunch with them one day, and I just started asking them questions. And I said, tell me the story of when you built your business, when you launched this business. What did you do? How did you do it? Did you have a lot of money? Did you have no money? How were you able to get this thing off the ground? And they told me the story of how they had made decisions that for one year, as they built their business, they started with two simple products and then added products over time. They said, for one year, we made a decision that we would not pay ourselves. Now, a lot of you that are entrepreneurs, you know how that goes. You've been down that road, and it's tough. It's difficult. You made big-time sacrifices up front. And as I listened to them talk, I thought, wow, how did they do that? That's crazy. That's incredibly inconvenient. That's difficult. That's uncomfortable. I mean, you nearly put your family in harm's way. You kind of make this big sacrifice on the front end because you're expecting that there's going to be a big payout on the back end. And what's so cool about it is, is I got to know these guys and I found, I saw the way that they did business. I saw the way that they treated their customers, that they treated their employees, that the fair way that they were with everybody who purchased from them, the way they treated, I mean, they were people of integrity and in how they did business. And they made all these smart decisions up front that were enormous, inconvenient sacrifices. But nearly 20 years later, they're running an incredibly successful business. Why? Because they made a decision on the front side to make sacrifices that were inconvenient because they knew on the back side there was going to be a payout. They knew it was going to come together and they knew it was going to work out. Here's why I tell you that story. We just talked about Mary's encounter with the angel. What about Joseph? Joseph's encounter with the angel isn't told in Luke chapter 2. In fact, it's told in Matthew chapter 1. It's told in a completely different gospel. Mary has a face-to-face -face in the middle of her normal, regular day encounter with this angel that shocks her. 
but not Joseph. Joseph goes to sleep and has this crazy dream. And suddenly all this stuff's playing out before his eyes in this dream, and then the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. And I want to read what this says to you. This is the second half of verse 20, and then verse 21 from Matthew chapter 1. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Very important words. You shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, when the angel starts talking to Joseph, the one thing that he says that's so interesting is you need to take Mary, you need to accept what's going on. Trust me, God's working, everything's going to be okay, God's got a plan, I know this is going to be uncomfortable, I know this is going to be inconvenient, but you've got to believe me. We're gonna bring, you're going to bring forth a son, and I need you, you must name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I, I love how the angel gave him very specific instructions. You might want to name him something else, but you must name him Jesus. Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua, as many of you know, and it literally means to deliver or to rescue. There was a certain mission on his life that God had ordained from the outset of time. And see, Joseph, his earthly father, he was a good Jewish boy. He knew about the promises of the Messiah that would one day come. And suddenly to have this encounter with an angel in a dream and realizes that I get to be a part of God's solution, his eternal solution to sin on the earth? Are you kidding me? I think it was right there in that moment that Joseph understood that he could be committed to God's future even if the present he was about to walk through was going to be uncomfortable and inconvenient. Why? Because God was going to use him to develop, to grow, to nurture the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who died for my sin and for your sin even 2,000 years later. And Joseph knew this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard, but I'm willing to go through the sacrifice on the front side because God's about to do something really big on the back side. And I want to say to every single person that's here today, I I don't know if it's something to do with your family. I don't know what's something to do with your faith. I don't know if it has something to do with your business. But if you'll be willing to make the sacrifices on the front side, You'll see God reward you huge on the back end of this thing, but you have to trust that he's at work in the process, even if on the front side there's a sacrifice, it's uncomfortable, and it's inconvenient. Something happened in Joseph and Mary's heart where they realized we get to be a part of something that's bigger than us. Can I tell you something today? Christ in you, the hope of glory, it's bigger than you. It's for your family. It's for your kids. It's for your neighbors. It's for your coworkers. And I think Joseph and Mary understood that, and they said, we'll make the, front, we'll make the sacrifice on the front side because God's got some big things in the future. I'll sacrifice my present for God's big, bright future and the plan that he has for humanity. It was going to be inconvenient, but Mary and Joseph, they were committed. They were in. According to your word, let it be unto me. I'm in. If you said it, I believe it. I know it's going to be tough. I'll make the sacrifices here so I can get the rewards there. Choose commitment over convenience. And then the third thing, and I kind of touched on this in the second note there, but the third thing, the third commitment that I believe Mary and Joseph made when you look at this story, the third big commitment they made. Number three, Mary and Joseph were committed to stewarding 
what God was entrusting them with. Let me say that one more time so this is at home with all the parents, okay? Mary and Joseph were committed to stewarding what God was entrusting them with. Now, think about it. Mary and Joseph have now been informed that they are not just having a baby, but they're going to be having the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the one who would redeem humanity. Now, how many of you know as parents that just raising your ordinary kids is pretty tough? Imagine the pressure that came along with having to raise the Savior of the world. I've got to think that there was something on the inside of Joseph and Mary that felt this burden, this sense of pressure, like, oh my gosh, you're not just giving me a kid, you're giving me the Messiah. This is huge. This is bigger than me. I can't do this on my own. But they understood, they made a commitment to steward that which God had given them. Now, we believe as Christians that we will have to give an account. We will have to give an answer to God for how we steward what he has given us in this life. If I just stop for a moment and I put myself in Mary and Joseph's shoes, I can imagine that there's probably a little bit of fear in their heart when they thought, if we mess this up, we're going to have to answer to God for that. Let me just be honest with you for a minute as a parent. Sometimes it puts the fear of God in me to stop and think that if I mess this up, I'm going to have to answer to God for that. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not saying that to put fear in your heart. But here's what I want to say to encourage you. All the moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas in the house, step parents, foster parents, if you have kids in your life, let me tell you something. We don't have to be fearful of answering to God for the how, we, how we raise our kids. If we feel like we need help, let me just tell you something. God is right there. He's available and he's willing to give all the help we need. See, Mary and Joseph were being entrusted to steward the upbringing, the raising of Jesus. And even though it probably could have seemed like a huge burden and something that would cause you to be incredibly fearful, I think the one thing they understood is they, as they sat there in the presence of those angels when they came and delivered this word from God and being surrounded by the presence of God, I'm certain that they probably thought in that moment, this is going to be difficult, but God's going to be there with me every step of the way. So maybe it's your kids, your marriage your business, some other big calling that's in your life right now, and you think about the weight of this thing that you're stewarding, this dream that God's put in your heart, this calling that God has put in your heart, you think about it and it feels so big and so heavy and so weighty, and you're like, but what if I mess it up? Can I tell you something? Whatever God's placed in front of you, you don't have to be fearful of messing it up. If you need help, just run to the Father because he's got all the answers that you need. And I think it's because of that that Mary and Joseph were committed to steward the thing that God had entrusted them with because they didn't have to do it from a place of fear. They could do it from a place of favor because God was going to be with them. He was going to give them help and he was going to give them all the advice and wisdom that they needed. But here at the end of the message, you know, I read through a list of inconveniences that Mary and Joseph had endured and encountered in their journey to Bethlehem before Jesus was born. There's one last thing that I, I didn't read I'd like to come back and touch on very quickly. Because in verse 7, there's a verse that we know so well, but I think it's so important for us to kind of grab onto it and take it to heart for a second. Because the very last thing that happens there in verse 7, it says these words. It said, And Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Now we know that this right here is speaking of the birth of Christ, the birth of Jesus. That's why we have Christmas. Because Emmanuel came, God with us. 
But what's interesting about it is that she gives birth to Jesus, wraps him in swaddling cloths, lays him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. I've been talking about convenience this morning. I think we can all understand that when Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem, there was a census being taken. Of course it was busy. The place was crawling with people that were coming back for the census. When everybody came back, they needed a place to stay. So they ran to the inns looking for a room. But Mary and Joseph, they had an incredibly uncomfortable quest. And when they got there, they found out that there was no more room for them. And I grew up in a pretty hospitable home with parents who were very caring. They would see a need and try to meet it. They would see somebody that was walking through a difficult time, a difficult circumstance. And even if it was uncomfortable, and if it was inconvenient, we would usually try to help somebody if we could. I can think of times that people stayed in my house when I was growing up. I think of a woman who was coming off a terrible drug addiction. She stayed in the guest room of our house when I was growing up, hearing her moan and groan day after day as she was detoxing from all the drugs in her system. I can remember times where my family was so compassionate with people because of the predicament they were in, but yet Mary and Joseph, the woman who was about to give birth to the Son of God, could find no one with enough compassion to give her a warm, clean, safe place to rest her head and give birth to this child. And I know that we look at the story and we say, well, God ordained it that it was going to work out this way because Jesus related to all of us as common people. He wasn't born in a palace, he was born in a stable, and that's true. We see this picture of Mary taking Jesus and laying him in a manger. There's not enough that's given to us from the original writings of what a manger actually was, but more than likely, above all else, that manger was probably something that was attached to a feeding trough in a stable. All because it was too inconvenient to give them a place to stay. And nobody would make room Nobody would make room for the Savior of the world to be born in their comfortable place. Instead, it was out to the stable to be born in the most uncomfortable of settings. The reason why I want to land here this morning in closing is I think that for most of us, especially as Americans, man, we live comfortable lives, don't we? Even the most uncomfortable among us lives pretty comfortably compared to a lot of people in the world today. Because of the busyness and the convenience that we so often choose, can I just be honest with you for a moment? I think we don't make room for the Savior of the world in our life. I don't say this as a condemning word because I know that there's going to be many people here this morning. This is maybe the only time you've been in church and you say, Zach, I did not come here today to be preached to or condemned. Don't worry. But I want to just share something with you this morning. Mary and Joseph went through the most uncomfortable and inconvenient of situations to bring to us the Savior of the world. They said yes to the plan of God, and sometimes it's way too inconvenient for us just to make room for him in our lives because we're too busy. we got too much going on. It would be too inconvenient, and I just don't know that I have room for that in my life. Here's the good news. Jesus did the hard work because after he was born, He lived 32, 33 years, went to the cross. He died the death that he was promised to die for my sin and for your sin. Guess what? He did the thing that you and I couldn't do for ourselves. When we think about Christmas, we think about the birth of Christ, but Jesus truly was the one who came and was born to die for me and for you. 
And if it seems inconvenient to make room for him in your life, I got good news. He's done the hardest part. Salvation is free. Jesus gave his life for it. All you got to do is accept him into your heart. But once you make room, can I just challenge you with something? He wants to come in and he wants to start rearranging the furniture of your life because he's got better plans for you than you have for yourself. And it might be inconvenient on the front side, but let me tell you, there's a great reward on the back side. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, I thank you for the people that are in this house today. I know so many of these people that called the Bridge Church home, friends and family to me. There's people in this room, God, that I've never met, and maybe they're here for the very first time today. Wherever people might be this morning, I pray in Jesus' name that you would meet them where they are. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to put you on the spot. But I just want to ask you a simple question. Have you made room for Jesus in your life and in your heart? Have you given him a chance to come in and bring that forgiveness that he wants to offer because of his death? If you've never made Jesus, if you've never given him the opportunity to come into your life, I want to tell you something. He died for the chance to know you. And it wasn't convenient. But he did the hard work. If we would accept him into our life, we could discover his salvation, his redemption, his forgiveness for our sin, for our imperfection. We could go forward in life forgiven and free from the bondage of sin. But not only that, we can look ahead that when this life is over, we know in our hearts that we have peace for all of eternity and we will spend it with God. If you'd like to make a decision today to give your life to Christ, walk into that relationship and have security in your heart for eternity, I want to lead you in a prayer. Nothing special about these words. It's about the commitment that you make in your heart. Commitment that you make in your heart. Would you repeat after me today? If you want to make that decision, maybe it's for the first time or you want to recommit your life, just repeat after me these words and let's walk into that relationship right now. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you gave your life for me. So today, I choose you. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. And I believe that you were raised from the dead and that you conquered death for me. So today, I make you the Lord of my life and my Savior. I will walk with you. I will learn your ways in this life into eternity. Thank you for all that you have done for me. Amen. Amen. Now, everybody look up at me for just a second because this might be the most important moment in our service. If you made a decision to follow Christ, we want to help you start your journey of faith and your walk with God. This is not the end. This is a brand new beginning, and we just want to help you get started. We have a free gift. It's a simple book. It's called The Next Seven Days that we would love to give you at the conclusion of our service. When service is over, there will be prayer teams down here on the side walls of the floor area of the auditorium. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ. They'll get you that book. We don't need anything from you, but we are happy to help in any way that we can to pray with you, to encourage you. If you need to go quickly when the service is over, you can stop by the Next Seven Days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. Just walk up, let the team know you made a decision to follow Christ. 
Christ and you want to get the book, they'll give it to you. We're so, so glad you made that decision. There is no better time of the year to give your life to Jesus than at Christmas time. So, hey, all of us here at the Bridge Church, part of the family of God, we want to put our hands together right now and welcome you into God's family. Hey, would you give Zach a good hand for that message this morning? Thank you, Zach. I feel pretty confident God's talking to everybody in this place today about walking out his will. So I promise you, God's blessings are upon you. Hey, what what a great day. What a great Christmas season this is. And once again, we're so glad you're here today. Before we go, we always take a moment to worship God with our giving. Worship equals giving. Giving equals worship. Throughout scripture, worship always costs something. And I just want to take a moment, and they give you the different ways you can give on the screen. If you're in the house today and you want to give a physical gift, there are envelopes on the back of the chairs. There are giving stations on each side of these exit doors, one out in the lobby by the children's check-in. Feel free to give as you choose. Uh, We've got a couple more things planned in service before we go today, so everybody hold tight. But but I want to share this with you. Uh, You guys are so faithful, and Christmas is the time of giving You guys are such great givers and so faithful. I want to say thank you. Last Sunday, we told you about a need that one of our ministries has in Columbia. 60 women that are being rescued out of difficult lives and 100 children involved in those families. You all provide enough money to take care of what they needed for this Christmas. And give yourself a hand. Thank you so much for your giving today. God bless you. and, and a couple things that I want to share. These are business things, but I need to take care of them real quickly. We're down to the last part of December, so what you give for this year will go on your record for this year. There are always people who say, how do I make sure it goes on this year's giving for internal revenue? How many of you have ever heard of IRS for inter, internal revenue records and for tax season? Uh, it, make sure it gets postmarked before the end of the year or it's dropped off at the church before the end of the year and dated this year, and we'll take care of that on our end, make sure that's handled. One little change we're going to be making next year, and I need everybody to understand what this is. I'm going to say it really fast, but I want to make sure you understand this. Beginning January 1, what we do in outreach really breaks down into two major things, our overseas missions and what we do at home with community care. We've kind of operated them out of two different line items, but beginning January 1, Outreach is going to be just one category. You say, well, what difference does that make to me? Well, here's the thing. In the past, when you went online and you gave, or if you wrote in the contribution line what you were uh, giving this toward, if it said community care, it went to community care. If it said missions, it went to missions. In the future, it's all going to be one fund simply called outreach because it's local outreach and global outreach. So beginning January 1, if you do give online, you need to designate it, you're giving for missions or for community care. You need to simply call it outreach. If you give online, it'll be right there for you. I'm telling you in advance because if you have uh, recurring giving, you need to go in and make sure January 1 you, you t- take care of that. And we'll be giving you more information as January 1 comes around. One more time, thank you for your faithfulness and giving. It's going to be an exciting week. Uh, Christmas Eve services are always special here at the bridge. 4 o'clock and 5.30, and then next Sunday morning is online only. But let me tell you something.
next Sunday morning service, I promise you, will grab your heart and it'll minister to you. A lot of you are going to be with family. Take time out to be involved in one of those services, regular times, 930 and 1130. I promise you it will touch your heart and impact your life. It's going to be a great, great Sunday morning as you make your house God's house the day after Christmas. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be awesome. Now, we're going to do one more song in celebration today. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. The team's coming out. But here's the deal. Don't anybody run for the doors, okay, because they just got locked. You cannot get out. Don't anybody run for the doors because we've got some video that's going to be playing, and you might see yourself on the screen. We took some candid shots the last few weeks. You might see yourself sleeping in church during my message last Sunday. We'll see what happens, but let's enjoy this song together. Hey, family, we're going to sing one more song, and we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. and your family We wish you a Merry Christmas And let it be full of celebrating And full of our God's blessing So let's come together now Everyone gather around And grab the ones that you love and say
back here in the building. God bless you guys. Have a very Merry Christmas.